Uh, the last few weeks, we've covered some very familiar scriptures, uh, scriptures that probably most of you have read or know uh, in your heart of hearts because you've heard them preached many times. This week, our text is much less familiar, uh, and the reason for that, probably, it's a, it's a little bit hard to understand at first. What is Jesus telling us? What is he trying to teach us in this passage? And I was telling Shane, that the other night and he was he goes well just skip it just just move on just and he didn't mean that in like a bad way but I had to throw him under the bus at least once today and uh, man one of my commitments as your pastor has been I believe this is God's word and I think there's value in it for all of us at every point and so we're gonna we're gonna read it we're not gonna skip past it just because it's a little bit hard to understand and I think with a little bit of thought we can get there um Today, Jesus turns to his disciples, and instead of speaking to the crowd about what it means to come to him as a disciple, it's not an evangelistic message. It's not really a message to his Pharisees, the Pharisees who were the religious leaders who were hard-headed, as we saw last week, hard-hearted. This is a message to his disciples. It's not an evangelistic message. It's a discipleship message. It's not, how do I follow Jesus? It's How do I live now that I am following Jesus? So let's look at it, uh, starting in verse 1. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager. And here's what it says. He said, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. This is theft, okay? Verse 7. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. 
The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband also commits adultery. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the truth in it, God, about um, so many areas of our life, God. But I pray specifically today that as we look at this passage, God, that you would teach us how to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. God, and help us to see today that that's way more than just money, um, although that is included. God, it's our time, it's our relationships, it's our influence, it's our everything. God, everything that we have, you have given to us, God, and you have entrusted to us. And so I pray that as we learn from this passage in a negative light about a dishonest steward, God, that we would be good stewards of all that you have entrusted to us. And so we love you. Uh, help us to walk with you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. As we said earlier, this is a lesson in discipleship. Uh, this is not an evangelistic message. This is not, hey, here's how you come to Jesus. You need to get rid of your money. That's not the point of this passage at all. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now, this lesson, like very many of Jesus' lessons deals with money, deals with possessions. Some say that about a third of all of Jesus' parables deal with money. Why? <laughs> because we all have it, or we all don't have it. <laughs> we all deal with it. And it, money and possessions is one of the many false guides, false gods, false idols, false ways there's massive temptation when it comes to money, possessions, and wealth for each one of us because they easily take this position of lordship in our life, that they're the most important thing or achieving this kind of status is the most important things. Money and possessions are highly motivating, highly motivating <laughs> to do all kinds of things. And Jesus knows that his disciples will be, could be easily steered off course because we're prone to be greedy. We're prone uh, to be moved by money to do things that we wouldn't normally do because there's money on the line. And the point today that Jesus is making to his disciples is that just as we are motivated by this monetary gain, how much more should we be motivated by spiritual gain? and eternal things, not just the present. And so Jesus is teaching today about how, how we, how his disciples should view and use money. And so he tells this story, a parable. It's got a point. And in this parable, there's a rich man who had a manager. Now this rich man, imagine the richest person you know and quadruple it. This man is very rich. He's not just marginally better off than others. He had so much that he had hired managers, stewards, people to be in charge of his affairs. Not many of us have people to take care of our stuff, right? Maybe, maybe some of you do, but this man is very rich, and he, he would require an account. And so he would call from time to time. It says call. He doesn't literally mean call, okay? Uh, but he would come and visit or ask for a report from his manager, 
and, and to know how is my stuff doing? Is it growing? Is it developing? How, how are you handling it? We call this stewardship. Stewardship. Stewardship is when we manage something on behalf of somebody else. Uh, you think about a financial planner, maybe. Financial planner takes, takes my money and invests it and gets a return on that investment for me. Is it his money? Nope. He treats it like it's his own, though. But it really, in the end, it's my money, right? This is stewardship, managing something on behalf of someone else. And the important part of stewardship is if I give my money to a, a, a financial planner and he does it for his own benefit, I don't want that. I don't want to hire that guy, right? Right? Because he's doing it for his own gain, not for my gain. And that's the point of this story. It's one of the key lessons for us is that we are all called to be good stewards of what God has given us. Now, we're so quick to go to money because that is the immediate context. But I want us to think broader than that today, too, because money's not the only thing that we've been entrusted with. Each one of us has, has been given time, has been given families, has been given relationships. We've been given jobs and influence. We've been given uh, skills and talents and abilities. None of you really earned any of that. God has given that to you. He's blessed you with that, and he's given that to you on purpose for you to be a steward. Now, we think of ourselves as owners. We think of ourselves as we the one, I'm the one who did this. I'm the one who has this. I'm going to do this for my own gain, but we have to, as disciples, learn to see ourselves as stewards and good stewards. So there's this rich man, there's a manager. In verse 1 it says, charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So the, man, the rich man hears that this uh, manager is not handling things well. He's either incompetent and just unfit for doing this job, or he's just selfish, right? He's just doing it for his own Benefit. I think based on the rest of the story, he's probably more selfish than he is incompetent, right? Because he figures out a way to be confident when it matters. Either way, this mismanagement leads to a confrontation. And so verse 2, it tells us that the rich man called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. He hears about the waste, he hears about the selfishness, and he fires him, right? Because he's incompetent, because he's wasteful, he no longer wants to entrust his stuff to this man anymore. And so he's going to find somebody else that can manage it for him. But he gives him one last job, and he tells him to turn in a record of your management, right? So basically, where do I stand? What do I have? What, 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 give me an account of all that you have done. And so this manager gets to go around one more time. And here's what he does. Verse 3. He starts to ponder. And he says, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. This, this manager realizes, I, have, I really have no discernible life skills. The only thing I was good at was managing this guy's money. I'm not strong enough to dig. I can't just go work 
and I'm too proud to beg. I got nothing. And so this leads to this desperation. And he realizes in his head, I've got to hatch a plan. I've got to utilize this one last uh, push as his manager to secure for my future. And so what does he do? Verse 4. He says, I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from my management, people may receive me into their houses. And so he goes. He has been well connected to this master's clients, right? He has, he has handled their business. So he has a relationship. He has clout with them. And so he goes to him that he, and he realizes, I need to use this to my advantage one last time. And so it says in verse 5 that he went one by one. And what does he do? He cheats the rich man out of money. <laughs> but in doing that, what does he do? He renegotiates the deal so that these people now owe him a favor. He, he goes to the one who owes him 100, and he says, hey, just write 50. I'll knock that off, and I'll get that off. You'll only have to pay 50, but now you owe me 50. Right? And to the one that had 100, he, he, he negotiates it down to 80. Now, in, in Jewish culture, they were highly reciprocal. So if I did something for you, now you have to do something for me. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And we kind of live in a culture like that to some degree. But for them, it was even more intense. And so what he was doing, he was securing years and years of wages for himself. He was securing a place in these people's homes, these people's lives by cheating his master out of his money. Now, I don't know what you think about this guy. When I read this at first, I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? What is this that's going on? Why are you telling your disciples this? What, what, what is the point? Because you think this is going to be about judgment, or he's going he's to come down on this guy for how, how wicked he is and how he's wasted all of this money. But that's not it at all. He calls him shrewd. Now, shrewd is a word. Uh, shrewd means kind of sharp judgment or cleverness or cunning, right? It's, it's not really a positive word. It's not really a negative word. It's kind of in the middle, kind of sleazy maybe is kind of a synonym for it. He's a little bit shrewd. He worked the situation to his own advantage. And Jesus is telling us this parable, and it's important for us to recognize this. This is not meant to be a positive example, okay? So what I'm telling you today is not, hey, go cheat your people out of their money, and that's shrewd. Let's be like this guy, okay? You hear me? This is not a positive example that we are meant to follow. Now, what's follow, what follows this is shocking because Jesus paints this man in a positive light. Let's look at it. Verse 8, it says, that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The master doesn't condemn him. He commends him. He applauds him. He's impressed by his, his ingenuity, his, his uh, ability to kind of make the situation better for himself. And he calls him shrewd. And he goes on, and what does he say? He says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus' point is, I want you as my disciples to be shrewd. 
That doesn't mean cheat people out of their money, but he's saying that, that I want you to learn to be good stewards, to make the most out of everything that I have entrusted to you, the money, the time, the relationships, the, the job, the influence, all that. He says sometimes we just, I think he's, he's speaking against this, this kind of like, well, I'm just going to sit here and just whatever God blesses me with. He says, no, the sons of this world, they're going out and they're doing it. They're going hard. They're doing whatever it takes to get ahead. And it's all for this temporal, earthly stuff. He says, I want you to be like that, but even more when it comes to eternal matters. The point is not, hey, I want you to learn to be shrewd so that we can all be wealthy. Maybe that will happen. I don't know. But the point that he's saying is you're meant to invest in the kingdom in shrewd ways as good stewards. We're meant to make the most of what we've been given. And sometimes maybe disciples, we're just prone to be kind of passive and just sit back and just, we'll just pray that God will do something. And by all means, let's do that. But Jesus is saying that we are meant to be Shrewd. We're meant to go hard and work things for the kingdom. Verse 9, he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. That's what this manager had done. He had made friends. He had made friends as money does, right? He had won these people over to himself so that when his job failed, he would have something, right? That's what he had done. And Jesus is telling us that we are to do the same, but not for earthly things. We are to do it for the eternal matters. He's saying, and he's, he's man, it's a little bit hard to understand, a little bit confusing, but the point of it always is we are meant to be good stewards to make the most of what we've been given for the sake of the kingdom. We're not to be those who are run after, as he calls it here, unrighteous wealth by taking advantage of others or using our wealth just for our own personal gratification, for selfish purposes. No, we're meant to be about others, to care for others, to provide for others. But not just here on this earth. Jesus' point is we're to use what God has given us on this earth for the sake of eternal things, not just the earthly. So in contrast to the manager, Jesus' disciples must not use money unrighteously. But we should be like the manager in that we use what God has given us to prepare for the future. And what Jesus' point is, is so many times people on this earth are so motivated by money and getting ahead, and they're so driven when it comes to earthly things that are all going to pass away. And he's telling us, as followers of his, you have something so much more valuable. And you know you have a future that is so much longer, so much greater, so much better. We just sang it. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you, Jesus. And he's saying, you have that, and you're just sitting there. He says, no, go after it. Be good stewards. Be shrewd. And now he goes on, verse 10, and he gives some more principles about this, about how we should handle our money, how we should handle our riches. He says in verse 10, he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. 
And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Faithfulness is a character trait that Jesus wants us to exhibit, right? One who is faithful. Faithfulness has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have, how much talent you have or don't have, how much whatever you have or don't have. Faithfulness is a character trait, not a circumstance trait. And Jesus says the one who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Sometimes we think, we look at our, our giving or our talents or our, our connections or our influence or our job or whatever it is that we've been entrusted with, and we think, that's so little, it doesn't matter. And what's Jesus' point here? No, it does matter. Because how you handle that, what you perceive to be small, is how you will deal with the bigger things. Why? Because that is your character, right? Faithfulness supersedes circumstances because it's our character. Verse 10, he says, One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If we're dishonest on something that doesn't matter, that we view as small and unimportant or not a large value or whatever, he says we'll be the same way when it comes to bigger issues. Why? Because that's character. Character supersedes circumstances. And if we're dishonest and unfaithful with a little bit, then we'll be dishonest and unfaithful with a lot. Do you hear it? The point is not how much you have. The point is not how much talent, money, influence, any of that that you have. The point is, what is your character? That's what Jesus is concerned about. And here's what he says, verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Jesus uses this word unrighteous wealth, and what he means by that is Earthly possessions, money, whatever, influence, all the things that we've talked about. And he says if you're not faithful with that, what you can see, what is highly motivating, what is, you know, very attractive, if you can't be faithful with that stuff, how can you be entrusted with something of such greater infinite value that is eternal? If you can't be faithful stewards over a little bit of cash, how can you be entrusted with eternal wealth? So God cares. God cares how we handle our earthly finances. But he cares much more about our eternal things too. Verse 12. He says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? If we can't be faithful with something that's not even ours, that we're just handling for somebody else, then we've proven that we can't be trusted with our own stuff. Why? Because it's character. Character. Faithfulness. Good stewardship. This is what Jesus wants us to be. And I think so many times we think the money, the possessions, the, the talent, the, the time, the energy, the relationships, they're just small. They're just unimportant. It's just not that big of a deal. It, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. But what Jesus is saying, how you deal with those small things. I feel like this lesson was pounded into my head by my dad over and over and over. And I feel like I'm like a repeat, whatever, a tape player just on repeat. This was pounded into my head. If you can't be faithful in that little thing, you'll never be faithful. You'll never be entrusted with more. Why? 
Because how we handle even the little things, money, time, talents, relationships, it reveals our character. And what is our character meant to be like? Jesus's. And Jesus cares about all things. He doesn't just care about the eternal things. He does. He does care about salvation and all that. He does care about eternity. But what does he also care about? The birds of the air, right? He cares about the flowers of the field. He cares about how we spend money, how we take care of finances. He cares about how we uh, shepherd our, our relationships, how we work hard in our jobs, how we use the talents he's given us for his glory. He cares about all those little things. Why? Because they reveal our character, and our character is meant to be like his. Verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now we read this and because we don't live in their society, we kind of naturally replace the word serve with like job or, or work for, right? And so many people today work for multiple masters. We have our main job and then a side hustle over here and then a side hustle over there. And so we read this and we go, that doesn't make any sense. But for them, what Jesus is talking about is true servanthood, true slaves who are owned by a master. Those people didn't, were not allowed to have a little side hustle over here. <laughs> they didn't get to make that decision. Right? They were owned and controlled by their master. And so Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. He's saying you cannot put God and earthly possessions on the same footing. You can't come over here and then go over there and go back and forth as it pleases you, as it makes you most fulfilled. He says, no, you're either going to submit to God or you're going to submit to money. And one of those is going to rule your life. One of those, you can't, you can't serve both. You're either going to be committed to money and pursuing getting the most, achieving the most, self-fulfillment to the max. That's what money is going to drive us to. Or you're going to be driven by God and you're going to be controlled by God and you're going to, you're going to give and you're going, to, you're going to sacrifice and you're going to bless and you're going, to, you're going to do all kinds of things with your money that someone over here that's driven by money won't, right? And it's not going to make any sense. It's not going to make any sense. Why? Because it's two different masters with two different purposes. And Jesus is telling us that we, as his disciples, must submit all things to him, especially with our money. Now, I love stepping on toes. It's not fun. It's not fun. But this is, this is the word. This is what we believe Jesus taught this, and we believe he's teaching us about how to be good stewards of everything. Now, what happened is Jesus said this in their day, probably the same thing is happening in this room. <laughs> There's some in your hearts right now who are ridiculing me, ridiculing this message, right? Because you go, ah, oh, well, that's not, ah, da, 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 right? And it's funny because that's exactly what happened here, verse 14. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. 
these Pharisees, we've talked about them so many times, who are hard-hearted, mostly just concerned with their appearance, mostly concerned with how they're perceived by others to be good and righteous and, and godly. And it says here that they were lovers of money. And so they hear this message about, about submitting all things to Christ, about investing in eternal things. They, they hear this and they go, no, you're an idiot, Jesus. This makes no sense. You don't understand how this world works. No, you're, that's terrible. You're teaching people all the wrong things. And they hurl these insults at him. Why? It tells us because they were lovers of money. <laughs> they didn't want to be told this. They didn't want to be exposed. And so Jesus speaks to them, verse 15, and what does he say? And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter with them. You want to justify yourself. Justify means to make right. You want to prove so bad that you're right and I'm wrong. That what you're doing is right and not wrong. Even though it's obvious that it's wrong. My kids are the best at this. They know how to justify their wrongs. They know how to justify what they did was how, how it was actually right. Yeah, I did hit her, but she did da-da-da-da-da. No, yeah, I didn't obey, but that's because da-da-da-da-da. My kids know how to justify everything that they do. You're laughing, some of you, because you are the same way. And I'm the same way. Every one of us can justify in our own lives while we're right and they're wrong. And Jesus points at the Pharisees and he says, You try to justify yourselves, but God knows your heart. You're trying to defend your sin. You're trying to defend your wrong belief. But God knows your heart. And he knows in their hearts that they love money more than they love God. He goes on, verse 16 through 18. Let's read 16 and 17 first. And he says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Now, there's a lot here. We don't have time to, to, to pull out every point. But I think what Jesus is trying to say to them is that God's heart has been the same all along. From the Old Testament all the way through the law up to John the Baptist, now with Jesus and his message that he's proclaiming, God is not changing. His law, what is good, what is right, what is true, has not changed. What has changed is these leaders' hearts. These leaders' hearts that they desire God's, they desire their own way, not God's way. They think that what they're doing is right as opposed to what Scripture is saying, right? And they can justify it. No, it's okay because we're leaders and we, we ought to da-da-da-da-da. They got their excuses as to why it's okay for them but not for others, as we all do. And another place that this played out for them was in their marriages, verse 18. And it feels really random. It feels really random for us to have a text about marriage and divorce in this context. Let's read it and then let's talk about it, verse 18. He's speaking again to the Pharisees. 
And he says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, let me just be honest. The the biblical conversation about divorce is much broader than this one passage, okay? This is, I'm not going to spend time talking about all the divorce and everything. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees, and the context was this, that they took a passage in Deuteronomy, and they twisted it to their own advantage, just like they're doing with money. They've taken what they know to be true about God and money, and they're twisting it to justify themselves. They were twisting this passage in Deuteronomy to make what they were doing appear to be right. Do you hear me? So if you're divorced in the room, just, I'm not, I'm not, it is what it is. Jesus is not, what he's talking to today is these Pharisees who wanted to twist God's word to make their actions seem right when they knew in their heart of hearts that it wasn't right. They, they, were, they would take this scripture and they would use it to justify if the woman did not cook right, that they could divorce her. If she wasn't pretty enough, you can go read this stuff. If she wasn't pretty enough, they could divorce her. They're twisting God's word. They're twisting it to justify their actions. Why? Because they did not love God first. They did not love him first. They loved themselves. They loved their own selves. And this is the same issue with the money, that they don't want to submit to God's ways. They don't want to submit to God. They really just worship themselves and their own hearts. They'd rather have it their own way than follow God's word. In each of these stories, we find this central theme to apply to our lives. That being a good steward requires us, every single one of us, to submit to God's ways not our own. We view ourselves as owners and that what we think is most important, what we want is most important. And the point of this passage over and over again as he teaches the disciples, as he confronts the Pharisees, is being a good steward requires submitting to the will of the master. Without Christ, our hearts are wicked and deceitful and we can justify anything in our life. We can justify anything in our life because they're wicked and because we want to be justified. But our feelings, our preferences are not the standard of what is good, right, true, and best. Only God's word is. And so let me just say, it's really easy today to be convinced that money, possessions, wealth, achievement, all of that will satisfy us. It's really easy to believe that. It's really attractive, and it's really magnetic for us. But that is not what God's Word says. The truth of Scripture says that the only thing that really will satisfy us is God. God Himself is a relationship with Him and walking according to His ways. It's really easy to justify our own actions, to to kind of defend ourselves and prove why what we're doing is right and good and we know what's best. But the truth of Scripture teaches us something different, that none of us can justify ourselves. We are all sinners who need someone to justify us, to make us right, 
Every single one of us has fallen short. Every single one of us has messed up. If it's not with money, if it's not with marriage, it's with all kinds of other things. So we're all in the same boat today that we need somebody to make us right. We are not right. But Jesus is. And he came to live the perfect life that none of us did. He died the death that all of us deserved. Why? To justify us. To prove to the Father that we are right. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so even as we read this this passage about discipleship and how to handle our finances, really this comes down to, have I submitted my life to Jesus? This comes down to, have I submitted everything to him? And when we do that, then you can learn to be a good steward of what God has given you. And so let me pray today, and I want you to just take a second where you're at, and I want you to take stock of everything that God has given you, whether it be money, businesses, family, kids, influence, a home, maybe you got skills, jobs, even down little stuff like vehicles, relationships, whatever. Think about the stuff that God has entrusted you with as a steward. And just take a second and pray that you would learn and God would teach you how to be a good steward of all those things. How to use that for God's glory. How to use that for the kingdom, not just for yourself. Just take a second and pray right now. God, uh, we, we're so quick to try to defend ourselves and prove our rightness when all we really need to do is own up to our wrongness before you, that we all fall short. God, may we not try to justify ourselves, but may we rely on the one who came to justify us, to make us right with God. God, we all fall short. We all don't live this life perfectly as we ought, God, but but Jesus did. And so we place our faith in him today. We trust in him fully to be what we could not be, to take the penalty that we did deserve God, so that we could be in relationship with you. God, I pray that as you have entrusted us with that, God, that we would see all that you've entrusted us with, our families, our relationships, our influence, our jobs, our our money, our possessions, our houses, our everything that we have, God. I pray that we would learn to use those for your glory, not just for ourselves. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.